Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Dr. Quigley, thank you so much for joining us on Michigan Minds. I'm very excited to talk with you today about your research. So can you start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure. Yeah, it's so great to be here with you. Thanks so much for having me. I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist who also trained in pediatrics. Um, and at the University of Michigan, I work in a number of different roles. I am in an associate medical director role for our outpatient clinics, so involved in the care in our general and specialty child and adolescent psychiatry clinics, as well as with our adolescent addiction treatment services clinic here uh, at Michigan. And then I'm also involved in something called MC3, which is a statewide program that provides support to primary care providers taking care of kids and adolescents, as well as perinatal patients. So patients that might be either pregnant or recently pregnant and dealing with psychiatric concerns. So I wear a number of different hats and that that's really fun. Wonderful. Thank you. And so in what areas does your research focus? Yeah, so I collaborate with a number of different groups, um, one of which is currently looking at ways to understand adolescent substance use um, and look at ways at preventing initiation of use or reducing use over time. And there is another group I collaborate with who is looking at primary care, practice and how we can identify depression in adolescents uh, more effectively so that kids can get to treatment more quickly. And then referring to that MC3 program, so our statewide access program, we do research in order to understand how well the program's working and how we can be helpful in different ways to providers out in the community so that then the kids and their families are getting access to mental health care more effectively. Thank you. You recently presented for Michigan Medicine's social media and mental wellness webinar, which focused on educating and providing advice to families of teens and tweens regarding social media usage and the effect it can have on children. One area I'd like to talk a bit more about is how the teen brain is impacted by rewards and sensation. Can you share with us about this stage of development? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I should start by saying that we understand quite a bit, but there's still so much more to understand about brain development and neuroscience. So this is a really exciting area um, within medicine and within science. But a really important take home point from today is that our brain is going through a really um, rapid and dynamic um, state of change for many, many years. So when you think about, you know, being grown up, it takes your brain to be quite quite a long time to, to reach a grown up brain. So we know that starting around 10 or 11 years of age, a lot of changes start happening in terms of the ways the brain is processing information, the ways different parts of the brain are trying to connect to each other more effectively. And what we call like a cleaning up process is going on in the brain. And that actually takes us well into our mid twenties to really be quote complete. And we know that it's not just our brain in one state at that time, that there's more changes that go on as we age. 
But the reason we're really concerned about what goes on for kids and adolescents is that the brain changes a tremendous amount during that time. And it's trying to figure out how to work really well to be effective and independent adults. And so we want to protect and take care of our brains during this time to be um, as healthy as we can for the long term. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. And so expanding on the fact that the younger a person is when they start using, the more likely they are to develop a substance use disorder later on in life. How can social media usage or even the use of devices like iPads to watch TV shows um, become an addiction or what signs may signal that a young adult may have an unhealthy relationship with social media? Yeah, so this is a really big question and one that um, we don't understand fully yet in terms of specifically looking at social media use, but I want to step back and talk a little bit more about the adolescent brain and what might make somebody more vulnerable to struggle with managing social media and device use. So when I talk about all those rapid changes, the parts of the brain that are kind of getting on board and connecting and gelling really well earlier are the parts of the brain involved in sensation seeking, reward seeking, pleasure, um, motivation, and our like physical coordination. And later on, the part of the brain that's involved in decision making, kind of slowing down, considering options, um, what we call executive functioning that helps us be prudent in our decisions, that doesn't really gel and make those final connections until later on. So when you're thinking about adolescents and kids are trying out new things, they are more likely to experiment with something that they haven't done before. They're more likely to um, really respond to the social um, benefits they might anticipate or experience from trying out new things and they're not able to slow down and evaluate whether that decision is a good one, you can understand why having access to a device or to social media might be something hard for them to manage. So when we talk about having trouble with using a lot of social media, I think we're talking about a lot of different things. We're talking about the ability to make a decision about what platforms to be on. We're talking about being able to make the right decisions about content and how to process that content, um, but also managing time. And we know that a lot of the platforms are designed to really pull you in and to keep you engaged. And that releases dopamine and um, gives kids that sense of, not just kids, all of us, that sense of pleasure and reward in the short term for being on that platform. And adolescents will have a harder time checking that and may have a harder time kind of when they're away from that device, not experiencing a really strong desire to be back on. So I hope that answers your question about how complex it can be and all the factors you're trying to navigate as a kid or adolescent when you're exposed to these, these platforms, devices, apps, et cetera. So during the Michigan Medicine webinar that we talked about a bit earlier, it was also stated that the number of adolescents with persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness has been consistently increasing and specifically in 2021, 57% of female students reported experiencing these feelings. What role do you think social media usage and online approval um, play into these numbers? 
Yeah, I think this is so important to try and understand. So we're really concerned, you know, those of us um, who are working in the mental health space, those of us who are our parents and have um, children in our lives are really worried about these trends that we're seeing. So across genders, um, that kids are struggling more with depression and anxiety. And then you look at this group um, of females and some of the, the national studies, and you see that they're struggling even more. And when it comes to thinking about the overlap with social media exposure or social media use, some of the things that come up are around vulnerability to lower self-esteem, around comments made around images or feeling that their appearance is uh, not what it should be because of you know, how many um, likes they get or they don't get enough likes. Um, there's a lot of use of filters, as you know. And so there is a thought among some that we are perpetuating really unachievable uh, standards around uh, beauty or attractiveness that, that girls may be more vulnerable to. There's also data that came out recently around electronic bullying. And this did find that more girls reported being electronically bullied during that last year, which was also from 2021. So that was 20% of female students who reported that. So they may be targeted um, by a peer, they may feel targeted on a platform. Some students experience um, you know, photo sharing that's not consented for, and they may feel really targeted and ostracized by that. So I think we really need to understand it more and understand that for many kids, even though they might be seeking connectedness through social media, they may not be feeling it in a meaningful way. And I think that's what we're really trying to understand as we look at this data. There's this paradox between kids feeling more lonely and isolated, which we know is a risk factor for feeling more depressed, and yet accessing a lot of social media and a lot of connectedness in quotation marks on these platforms. And I think trying to work out what has been a positive for some kids, which is you know very valid that some kids find social media platforms to be safe spaces. And yet what can also be really negative and triggering for other kids. And I think that's part of the task of our work um, in our communities and our research spaces and our clinical spaces for the next five to 10 years is, is how do we kind of tease out what, what the good and quote the bad is from these platforms and tying that into to self-esteem, to mood, to anxiety, to feelings of self-worth. Thank you for sharing. Do you have any advice to parents on what age you'd recommend introducing social media or any advice about setting limits on the amount of time a child should spend on apps per day? This is a really tough question because I think the answer may be slightly different depending on your child and for your family. There certainly is more and more coming out about recommendations. <clears throat> so the Surgeon General's recent report from May uh, was pretty clear about the concern for younger age use and exposure. So whether that's under 13 or under 16, what we do know is that the more hours an adolescent spends on social media and on, on these platforms, 
the more likely they may be to struggle a little bit more. So one recommendation to families might be, let's talk about what a reasonable length of time is. And most people would say that might be no time at a certain age and then one to three hours for older adolescents. There did seem to be a time-linked um, exposure effect in one study related to that, where they found that over three hours that there was a more negative impact of being on the platforms. Um, this ties back in also to what we were talking about earlier. So what can your child manage? And that is impacted by where they're at developmentally. So the ability for them to process the information they're viewing, to manage their time, to manage their desire to be on the devices, that is gonna potentially be harder when they're younger versus when they're older. One tool that can be really helpful is from the American Academy of Pediatrics and it's called a family media plan. So you can go to their site on healthychildren.org and as a family sit down and say, okay, how are we gonna earmark time that you're allowed to be on your laptop versus your tablet versus watching movies or shows and really outline what you're comfortable with on a day-by-day -day basis. And I recommend literally printing that out and sticking it on the fridge and sort of having that be the holy grail. This is what we agreed on. Let's go back to it when we're starting to get into an argument about stuff and say, okay, do we need to revisit this? Um, at the same time, I know there are families out there who feel like, well, if I give my child a device now and I'm able to monitor and supervise what they're doing, I'm helping them build up skills over time so that they can manage it more effectively. So there are families who feel that that's the right decision for them. There are other families who feel that, well, we're just going to do no phones or no social media until a certain age, and then we'll read, we'll, we will introduce it. I think one of the biggest things to do is to put the hard work in up front. So it is much harder to negotiate these rules over time and easier, even though it takes more time on the front end to really outline your expectations, uh, limit setting, and what would result in that phone or tablet or computer being taken away so that your adolescent is allowed to feel some independence and build up trust with you over time, but that they also know where the boundaries are. And I think that could be a, a really helpful way for you as a family to try and navigate that journey with each child. And it may be different with every child in your family or in your household, so. Absolutely, thank you. Are there any resources for students or families that you would recommend? I know I already mentioned the family media plan. There are a number of great resources out there from Common Sense Media and from Child Mind Institute. And I know I, I can provide more links to you that we can post when this is um, when this goes live. I would also say if you're having questions or concerns about safety or wondering about your child's behavior related to using social media, a great place to start is with your kid's primary care provider. And I really encourage families to start there and start the dialogue so that your, your child knows there's another space to talk about what might be going on if they're not comfortable talking about it with you. Thank you. And as the podcast comes to a close, what is one thing you hope listeners remember from our conversation today? You know, I would say that never underestimate the power of 
influence insofar as be aware of your own behaviors with social media or your devices because your kids are definitely watching and they learn how you are using them. They watch when you're using them. They watch what you're doing. And that helps them understand both the, the probably the positives and the negative of these um, devices and, and platforms in our lives. Um, and I, I say that too, when I talk to families, when maybe an adolescent has been struggling with substance use, like to be aware of how you're using alcohol or any other substance and what they're learning from watching your own behaviors or choices, how it impacts your mood, how it impacts how you're relating with them. Are you getting more irritable because they're trying to talk to you and you're on Twitter, you know? So I, I think, um, Having a little bit of self-reflection around what you're trying to model, I think, can be really powerful. That is incredibly valuable advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, is there anything else you would like to share? Thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, talk with you today, and I hope this is helpful to those of you listening. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us on Michigan Minds and sharing your research and recommendations. Um, I've learned a lot from the information you provided. It's incredibly valuable. So thank you again for taking the time to talk with me. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.